Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. A record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah followed Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar. And then Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David the king. David fathered Solomon. By her who had been the wife of Uriah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, we begin this week with this genealogy. Exciting. And yet within it we discover these unique things. Matthew intends us to see something about this Jesus we anticipate by including women in the genealogy, a practice that was unheard of at the time. He chooses these women specifically in all their uniqueness to tell us something about Christ. So what does the inclusion of these women mean? And Christ's family tree tell us? How does it speak to us about the new things God is doing among us? Last week, we heard from the story of Tamar. Today, we're going to learn from Rahab. As we ask together, what does the inclusion of Rahab in Jesus' family tree tell us about the good news? And so as we begin to think about this story, I want you to think about a nickname, perhaps, that you have had. What have people called you? In middle school, which is prime time for nicknames, I wore a Jerome Bettis jersey at least once a week, sometimes more. And often then, people began to call me Bettis, which I was grateful for as a Steeler fan. They also called me Too Tall. Where did you get the names that you've had? Some may be good, some may be not so good. Maybe you've given yourself a label that weighs you down. Maybe you hold on to a label that someone else has given you. Maybe you hold on to a label for another person prevents you from seeing who they really are. Seeing them as people loved by God. Labels and names powerful. We think about the labels that we put on one another, and just hearing that label may make us decide everything we think we need to know about them. So we enter into this story in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. The people of God have escaped slavery in Egypt, and then they encountered God at the mountain. They were to enter the promised land, but some spies went in and were afraid. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And finally, 
under the leadership of Joshua, they're about to enter into the promised land. And it's here they meet Rahab, an outsider, a citizen of Jericho, and she is called a prostitute. So some labels to carry. This woman, though, will appear multiple times in the New Testament and appears in Jesus' line. So read Joshua 2. We'll start in verse 1 as we hear the story of Rahab. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went. And they entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. They spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they've come to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. She said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. But pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof, hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. And the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords of that river. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. This is a dramatic story, another one. Likely one you may remember from Sunday school, although perhaps in your Sunday school you may have learned that Rahab was an innkeeper. That is not what the text says. The text tells us that she is a prostitute. And likely when you hear that label, you make all kinds of assumptions about her. It's the label she carries, Rahab the prostitute. It's what she's often called when we tell this story. And in our culture, when we hear that label, we might jump to some thoughts about her character. In fact, I've often heard when people talk about the women in Jesus' genealogy, that it is a list of deviants and great sinners. Though I find plenty of sin and deviance in the name of the men in the genealogy, they are drawn to attention in the name of these women. I want to challenge us a bit this morning. Challenge our assumptions about Rahab. She is a woman, a Canaanite, a prostitute. Things in this days that would have made her a triple outsider to the people of Israel. But she refuses to let others' labels define her. And we shouldn't either. I believe that her inclusion in Jesus' story tells us many things, but one thing it tells us is that what you've been called isn't what you are. Back to the story. These spies are sent to survey the whole land. They arrive first at Jericho. They stay with Rahab. It would be a good place to keep a low profile, but they are clearly not very good spies. As soon as they begin their mission, the king immediately knows about them and knows exactly where they're at. He sends for Rahab to confront her. And I think it will help us to, to try to understand what this must have been like for this woman. Pastor Kate Wallace Nunley of the Junior Project says the word prostitute makes us think of a, a woman wi willfully selling herself in order to make a profit. 
But abolitionists will tell you that most of the time throughout history, prostitution is not a voluntary industry. A more comprehensive view of prostitution includes the reality that most are victims of sex slavery. Yes, in the ancient world, the biggest cause of prostitution was slavery and poverty, just like it is in our time. So Rahab, Rahab likely, part of her family has found themselves poor, perhaps in debt. She has no options. She has turned to this occupation to provide for her family. And perhaps when we think about her perspective, we may shed some of our assumptions and try to listen to her, see what she does. Perhaps it helps us to slow down before we jump to judgments of others we meet as well. Rahab likely has very little. She's being held down by this cruel regime around her, and she offers these spies hospitality and welcome, a hallmark of God's vision for humanity. And then this king, a symbol of power, confronts her. And do you see what she does? She rebels. She stands up and stands against the demands of the king. She uses her wits and her courage to send the guards on a wild goose chase. Go get them. You'll go find them. Rahab the wise. I think the writer wants us to see these slaves bumbling as they are. They, they do nothing but get themselves into trouble, but Rahab is an active participant in the rescue and establishment of God's people in this place and the overflowing of the king in the city that played a large role in her desperation. Uh, now, as a self-admitted nerd, I'm reminded when I read this story of, of, the, of a scene in the first Star Wars movie. You see, Darth Vader is this big, bad force confronting a young and defiant Princess Leia. She's undaunted, subverting this powerful force. And I think that helps us kind of imagine Rahab in this moment. Standing up. What a compelling story. She's not just a witness to what God is doing, but is an active leader in the work. We call Rahab the prostitute. Perhaps we should call her the revolutionary. Or as we'll see shortly, the prophet. This inclusion of Rahab in Jesus' genealogy tells us that what you've been called isn't necessarily who you are. I showed you an image last week of four of these women from the Old Testament there, and they had crowns on their heads. As Christians, we believe that by faith we are grafted into God's family, God's story. This is a gift. What others have said about us, what we say about ourselves, are nothing compared to what Christ says about us. The God that chose to be with us, to come to earth and call us beloved, welcome, forgiven, safe. In the hope of Advent, we see that the future is new, a new life, full life. Kingdom life is possible for all of us. It is breaking in all around. God is making things New. I want to read the rest of this story. This is uh, Joshua 
2, 8 through 21. Before they went to sleep, Rahab went up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the dread of you has fallen on all of us and all the inhabitants of the land. Melt in fear before you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water on the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven and above the earth below. Now, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you will in turn deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we'll deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us this land. So she sent them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she resided within the wall herself. And she said to them, go towards the hill country. Your pursuers may not come upon you. Hide yourself there three days until your pursuers have returned, and afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we, we will be released from this oath that you have made us swear to you if we invade the land and you do not tie this crimson scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And you do not gather in your house, your father, your mother, your brothers, all your family. If any of you go out of the doors of your house into the street, they will be responsible for their own death and we shall be innocent. But if a hand is laid upon any who are in your house, we will bear the responsibility for their death. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be released from this oath which you made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away. They departed. She tied the crimson cord in the window. As the people were entering into the land, there was this vision that the world may see who God is and Rahab does. <laughs> she declares God's power and petitions for herself, for her household. She uses her agency to advocate for her family. I don't know what the spies expected when they got to Rahab's house, but I know what they found. God was already there, already at work, already active in the life of somebody they would have thought was a triple outsider. Rahab becomes the first occupant of the foreign land who shows loyalty to the God of Israel. God was already there. We often think that we're the ones that carry God into new spaces or mission trips. And yes, we're called to be agents of Christ, citizens of the kingdom wherever we go. But friends, God is already there. God is already at work in our city, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our families already moving the spies say very little. They have much more to learn about God from Rahab than they have to teach. Recently, uh, as a church, we, we interviewed the scholar and advocate for people with disabilities, the Reverend Dr. Aaron Rafferty, for our Digging In Life group. If you missed that conversation, it was phenomenal. I'd encourage you to listen to it. It's on our podcast feed. Rafferty's book, From Inclusion to Justice, calls for churches to follow Jesus towards justice by not just creating space for people with disabilities, but listening to them, learning from them, giving leadership to them. 
She writes, although I set out to write a book about ministry with disabled people, I've realized that disabled leaders are asking students, pastors, congregations to shed a problem-solving orientation to ministry. Come a bit closer. Listen a bit deeper. Notice what God is doing. Rafferty convicted me. I've been thinking about this conversation in her book since that day. This model of ministry and life is not just about ministry for and with disabled people. Though for me, this is a new vital territory to think about. It's a model for how we partner and listen to all kinds of different voices. In the story of Rahab, our first reaction may be like the spies. We may want to fix, rescue, solve Rahab. God's already there. Rahab says, listen. She challenges our assumptions. I believe in the way that we do ministry is not just about opening the table and welcome and inclusion, but also to leadership. This is what we need as a church. Not just to welcome people, though we must and we are, but to invite them to lead and serve and teach us to listen, to learn. Rahab rewrites her future writes herself into the lineage of Christ. What does her inclusion tell us about Jesus that Christ welcomes? Welcomes all. And Christ also has a role, a call, a purpose for all. The Christmas story is full of characters that that you would never expect to participate because of their past or their economics or their gender or their location. But God arrives in the mud, in the straw to be with us, all of us, and invites all of us to participate. Remember, the shepherds declare good news. Rahab's story shows us that God has a place for the outcast, the overlooked, but also uses these people. God has a place for you. A role for you. Maybe that's what you need to hear today, thinking God could never use me. Maybe you feel really good about your value, but you're not sure that you see the value in someone else. The spies might have thought the same thing about Rahab. I'm sure they're glad that they were wrong. The story continues. Israel expects a traditional battle. God has different plans. They just walk around the city, blow trumpets. It's wild. The walls fall. And in Joshua 6.25, it says, But Rahab, the prostitute with her family, all who belonged to her, Joshua spared them. Her family lived in Israel ever since. For she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. That word spared, Joshua spared. It's the same word for delivered, rescued, that shows up in Exodus when the people escape slavery. It's the same type of language that will be used for the rescue we describe in Christ. You have been freed, spared, delivered. She marked her home with this crimson cord. I want to take a moment and look at that cord that she puts in her window. The early church found much significance in this symbol. To them, they wrote about how that red marker might be a representative 
of deliverance we see throughout Scripture. In fact, some scholars argue that there is a lot of significance in the little detail of her drying flax on her roof. Traditionally, it would have been harvested and dried around the time of Passover. That is the time when the people of God escaped slavery, marked their doors with blood. A symbol that they would be saved. Jesus himself takes the Passover meal right before his death. He celebrates it with his followers and says, remember, a new rescue is coming by the crimson blood of Christ. His voluntary and loving sacrifice for us, in him we find rescue from sin, from death. This symbol continues for us with bread and the cup filled with crimson wine. It reminds us of the broken body, poured out blood, life given up for us so we might have a new name. Christians took on that name, Christian. It means little Christ as they took on this new lifestyle of following Jesus, walking in His rescue in the here and now. Their boldness was birthed out of their baptism and belief that the God of the universe not only welcomes them, but has value and purpose for them, gives them a new life and a new name. As the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus, he destined us for adoption as his children through Christ Jesus, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in him. We have redemption, deliverance through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I, I don't know the names that you might have been called. I don't know what names you might have called others. I don't know what labels you've carried, what relationship you have even to your family name. But know this. You've also been given a new name when you say yes to Christ. You inherit a new name that says you are deeply loved, beloved. Do you see that in the passage? His adopted children, us in the beloved. We are one with the beloved. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are welcome. And you have a role to play. The Abbott Brothers, one of my favorite bands, have this beautiful song that ends with the line, Always remember, there is nothing worth sharing like the love that lets us share our name. Like Rahab, there are titles and names that you may have that, that others have given you. They don't define you. Jesus welcomes you to the family. As part of the family, you have a role to play, to walk in new life, a life following Christ, becoming more like Christ. In your private life, and in the way we love and serve and welcome others. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. 
May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.